Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. Now, I think we all know that we're biblically encouraged to be persistent in prayer. But what about being shameless in prayer? Based on Jesus' teachings that are found in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, here's the message entitled, The Power of Shameless Prayer. One of the primary duties and responsibilities of any pastor, as well it should be, is prayer. It is true that pastors are biblically called, biblically required really, to be intercessors. That is, in all things and without ceasing, to be engaging in prayer and supplication unto God on behalf of the people in the congregations that we serve. This, in the words of 17th century English theologian John Owen, often called one of the founders of congregationalism, this, he says, is what makes a pastor truly a minister, shepherding the flock, doing work that is accepted with God. Moreover, Owen goes on to say, when the pastor prays for his people, he also blesses his people. And so what all that means is that every time someone like me stands up and starts to pray, whatever the nature of the prayer or whether that prayer has taken place inside the sanctuary or outside these doors, we are meant to be bringing forth a blessing from the Lord himself. And I believe that with all my heart. But let me just say, from experience, sometimes, oftentimes, that blessing of which we speak comes in a means unexpected, a means often unseen at times, because as the saying goes, God works in mysterious ways. One evening years ago in a prior parish, I was asked by an older woman in the community, she really wasn't a member of the church, a woman whose name was Myrtle, and a woman who had long been ill and in great pain, and who was now near death, if I might come to her room at the nursing home to administer last rites. Now, you should know that I already knew this woman. We had met weeks before to plan her memorial service. We'd actually gotten to know each other fairly well. But now things were beginning to unfold as we were expecting and as the doctors had predicted. Her organs were beginning to shut down. The doctors and the nurses had examined her and everyone had determined that Well, as I said before, things were happening and Myrtle's time was very short. And so even though, you know, that phrase, last rites, it's not really something that we do in the Protestant tradition, but that Friday evening, nonetheless, I gathered with this woman and all of her family so that together we could pray for her and with her in these moments before death. And... It was quite beautiful, actually. 
I led a whole series of prayers. We, we read scripture. We took turns reading scripture around the circle around her bedside. And everybody in that family had a chance to say a proper goodbye. And Myrtle, who was even in what was obviously a great deal of pain, was very alert through it all. And she lay at her bed and she just took it all in. And when it was all over, I said one last prayer. I took her hand in mine and I assured her that everything would be taken care of just as she wanted it. And we said our goodbyes and I headed home. Until late the next morning, Lisa and I were at a Memorial Day band concert down in the center of town, as I recall. My cell phone rings, and it's Myrtle's son. And Myrtle's son says to me, I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm calling for my mother. She's still with us. And she'd like for you to come over and administer last rites again. Okay. Well, again, I mean, not usually how it goes, but of course, I, I left there and went right over to the nursing home. And when I got to the nursing home, here's Myrtle, still very weak, obviously in pain, but nonetheless all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, at least enough to be laughing a bit as she said to me, I think we must not have gotten it right last night. Let's try it again, shall we? So, okay, let us pray. And once again, we prayed, we said our goodbyes, and the woman thanked me profusely for coming over, and she added, I do hope it works this time. And I went home again until later that night when I got called to come over to the nursing home again. And this time, Myrtle says to me, not really laughing all that much at this point, she says, I don't understand. I went to sleep and I expected to wake up in heaven. We said all the right words. We said all the right things. What are we doing wrong? I suppose I should be grateful she didn't look at me and say, what are you doing wrong? So, more prayers, more goodbyes, more than a few heartfelt but unnecessary apologies from her family. Suffice to say, long story short, I was asked to come to Myrtle's bedside three more times that weekend. Because despite all the assessment of doctors and nurses, this lady, by golly, she was hanging in. It got to the point where late on Sunday afternoon, I met the family at an outside gazebo outside the entrance of the nursing home, and all they could do was shake their heads in wonder and disbelief. All told, five gatherings for so-called last rites. Five times this grieving family came together in a rather persistent discipline of prayer until Monday when she eventually, finally, her son said to me, she passed away. And I got to tell you, there was, to be honest, intermingled with this family's grief, a little bit of relief at that point. And there were some smiles, chuckle or two, regarding how utterly determined Myrtle was to simply get on with this business of dying. And the family stayed there through that whole weekend. There were kids running around that gazebo. It was like a little mini family reunion. But mostly, mostly what I remember all these years later, and I remember also talking to the family about it as we prepared her memorial service, 
there was still this lingering question of why? Why? Why hadn't God answered this very appropriate, very reasonable, very compassionate prayer that this wonderful woman, this mother and grandmother, be released from all the pain she'd experienced and all the sorrow of life? Why hadn't this very persistent and meticulous series of prayers we had prayed over the course of several days seemingly go unanswered? Where's the blessing in all of that? Well, you know what? I've been thinking about Myrtle this week as I've reflected on our text for this morning. A text that, as you noted as Lisa read it, is all about prayer. This assurance that comes from Jesus that as believers, we can and we should ask for anything we need and that we can count on God's affirmative answer. One of the most often quoted passages in the gospel, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, search, and you will be fine. You will find. Knock and that door will be open for you. That's what Jesus, Jesus himself is saying. And so you know it's true. In essence, the message here is pray the prayer and the blessing is yours. Guaranteed. And yet you and I, we know that isn't always how it goes, is it? David Lose, formerly of Lutheran Seminary, writes that this particular passage, as much as any other in the Bible, has created some intense difficulty for believers about the nature of prayer. It raises a question about unanswered prayer, which, as I think many of us know, can create a huge crisis of faith. It puts honest believers in a bind, Lowe says, between wondering whether it was God that failed or they did. In other words, I guess we just didn't have enough faith or we didn't have a sufficient number of other Christians praying for us or maybe we just didn't pray the right way. In any event, our prayers weren't responded to as we thought they would and the question ends up being for us, what went wrong? Or worse, what did we do wrong? But here's Jesus still telling us to ask and seek and knock because everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And if that's not bad enough, Jesus then goes on to suggest that just as no loving parent would ever give their child a snake or worse, a scorpion instead of the fish they were asking for, how could we ever, ever believe that God would do anything less than to give the blessings of the Holy Spirit to all those who ask. So what are we to do with that? What are we supposed to think here? How are we supposed to reconcile, the, on the one hand, this important and essential ask of, uh, task of prayer in the Christian life with this unavoidable reality in life that sometimes... Prayer does seem for us to have gone unanswered. 
Well, friends, I think maybe our answers there at least start in the text itself we shared today. I mean, what's interesting about this particular text is there's actually three different parts of what Jesus has to say in that 11th chapter of Luke. It starts out, as Lisa shared with us, with the disciples coming to Jesus and asking him to teach them to pray. And that's where we get, at least in Luke's version of the story, the Lord's Prayer. A means to kind of open our hearts to God, to, to, to address the many concerns and needs of our spiritual lives. And of course, as we've noted, the passage closes with all those familiar verses that are assurances about prayer itself, to ask and, and to seek and, and how it will be given if we just ask. The key to this passage, for me anyway, is what happens in between the beginning and the end. This, this little parable that Jesus tells about persistence in prayer. This little story told in the second person, interestingly enough, about the relentless and arguably obnoxious neighbor who goes to his friend at midnight to borrow three loaves of bread for a meal. Now, even Jesus suggests here that such a request at that kind of an hour is unreasonable. I mean, the lights are off, friends. They've gone to bed. The kids are all tucked in. This is not a time that you bother your friend for anything. But yet that's what this neighbor does. And as Jesus tells the story, that's what, imagine this is you. This is what you are doing. But we're told that the persistence of the neighbor pays off. And finally, his friend reluctantly comes down to help. Jesus' point being that the friend gives in not because of his, of his relationship with the neighbor, not because they're being nice to each other, but it's done out of the neighbor's sheer persistence. And how much more will God do for you, says Jesus, when you're persistent in your prayer? Now, when you read that story, it all kind of makes sense, right? I mean, who among us has not given in to some kind of a request for a favor, but not with the pure motives that we really ought to have, but just simply because, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, just stop asking. But here's the thing that we should take in mind as we listen to this story. The Greek word that is used there for persistence in our New Revised Standard Version of Scripture, anadea, anadea, is actually better translated as shamelessness. In other words, the neighbor making an admittedly unreasonable request of this friend is bold about that request. He is daring to ask such a thing. He is utterly shameless in that he just keeps on with it until finally, finally, his friend gives in. The point being, and it's an important point, that when it comes to prayer, that's what we need to do. We need to be bold enough to offer up all of our petitions to God, shamelessly calling on God to keep God's promises. 
Because if this man in the parable ends up responding to his neighbor with all of his mixed motives and self-interest, how much more is it going to be with God? God who wants to give us that which is good and that which is life-giving. And so, yeah, we can ask and we can seek and we should knock at the door. We are invited to make all of our needs, wants, hurts, hopes, and desires known to God. And we should do it understanding that whatever happens, our Lord who loves us more than we can ever express wants us to trust him that we will get what we need. What this says to me is is that in the end, this is really all about our relationship with God. Ultimately, as Jesus is teaching it here, prayer is not primarily getting things from God, but rather it's about the relationship we have with God. Prayer is all about trust. Trust that while we might not always get everything we ask for in the way we've asked for it, we will at least receive the blessing of everything we need. And in the end, that's more than enough. Ultimately, you see, the most shameless thing you and I could ever pray for is God. The presence, the power, and the grace of God. And as I said before, that's more than enough. I'm actually remembering another parishioner. This one, a man I knew back in the very early days of my ministry up in Holton, Maine. And I remember how I was at the hospital to sit with him when his wife after a long and courageous battle with cancer, had now slipped into a coma and was herself near death. Now, you've got to know uh, this man that I was sitting with. He was the quintessential Aroostook County potato farmer. He had tan skin, callous hands that showed forth all the hard work he had done every single day of his life. He was a man who was strong and silent. At that point, I had known him about three years. I'm not sure I could have put all the words he actually said in a paragraph. Strong and silent, and he was never one to show weakness or to get emotional. To tell the truth, and remember, I'm pretty young. I'm very green behind the ears here, wet behind the ears, and the greenhorn. It was hard to know what to say to him in that moment that would offer him any kind of comfort without crossing a line that I know would make him very uncomfortable. We talked a little bit. We'd be quiet for long periods of time and and we'd talk a little bit more. But believe me when I tell you that he really didn't say much of anything at all. He just kept wiping his moist eyes and kept them focused on his wife in his final moments, in her final moments. But when I finally asked if I could offer a prayer, he looked up, put this big old callous hand on my shoulder, and looking at me now with tears brimming from his eyes, said, 
Yes, pastor, you can pray. But don't pray for healing. It's too late for that now. Just please pray that God will be with her so no, no matter what. Because that's what she needs right now. He understood. And in that moment, so did I. And I know that God answered that prayer. Prayer, of course, is more than just simply our folding hands, bowing heads, and quietly asking for things. Prayer is praise, to quote David Lowe's one more time. Prayer is thanksgiving. Prayer is conversation. Prayer is questioning. Prayer is arguing. Prayer is lamenting. Prayer is all these things and more. But prayer is also, perhaps fundamentally, asking God for what we most need and what we most desire and doing it shamelessly. Maybe the answer comes in some version of of just what we have been asking for. There is peace, there is hope, there is strength. There are miracles that happen every single day because of the power of prayer. But sometimes, sometimes when we pray, the answer comes and it's something more, more than even all of that. that all means, friends, is that we do need to ask. We should be seeking. And yes, keep on knocking at the door, because how else is that door supposed to be open if we don't knock? We need to keep bringing all of our questions, all of our convictions, all of our hopes and fears, all of our doubts, all of our anger, and bring everything to God, this Lord of life who loves us deeply, passionately, who loves us, yes, shamelessly, and who wants more for us than anything we could ever ask or imagine. What else is there to say, really? Except let us pray. And as we do, may our thanks be unto God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, The Power of Shameless Prayer. It was recorded during our July the 31st service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire where, by the way, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. Now, if you're visiting New Hampshire this summer, maybe looking for a place to worship on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be with us. We are a small, mighty, and welcoming congregation, and I think you'll be glad you came, and I know I'll be glad to greet you in person. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.